He expects us to be servants. He who wants to come first must come last. And listen, he who wants to live must die. He flipped it up on his head. He, what he was talking about is illogical to these people. To be a servant? Listen, these, these guys wanted to sit on the right and on the left when, when, when Christ went to heaven. Jesus, the superior, served the inferior. He's calling them to do the same. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Well, it was D.L. Moody, one of the most famous evangelists during the 1800s. People came from all around the world to attend his Bible conferences. One year, a large group came in from Europe among the attendees, and they were given dormitory rooms there at the college. As was custom in Europe, uh, these men would put their shoes outside of the door of their room, expecting them to be cleaned and polished through the night by some of the servants. Of course, there were no servants in the American dormitory. But as Moody walked through these hallways praying as he always did for his students, he noticed that there were shoes lined up down the hallway. He realized what had happened. Now he mentioned it to some of his students, but no one took charge. And so when everybody dispersed, he came back into the hallway and began to collect those shoes. And one by one, he took them back to his own place and began to shine and polish them. No one ever knew that he did that except one man. And he came in in the middle of him polishing these shoes, helped him finish them. And with all the reality, as he tells this story some years later, with all the, the praise and the fame and the glory that this man received because of God's blessings on his life and on his ministry, I'm always encouraged by the fact that Moody remained humble. I'm reminded that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the kings of king, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, had the right, He had the honor, and He had the, 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 the privilege of prayer. Yet, our Savior, our King, laid aside all of those privileges and became a lowly servant. Now, I know we hear a lot of people in our day talking and speaking about wanting to follow Jesus and willing to give up everything they have. But in reality, I see people unwilling to give up their rights and reflect His humility. Listen, we will never be like Jesus unless we walk humbly. There's only one other place in all of the Bible that I, that I see Christ in His humility shine better than this passage, and that is the very cross of Christ. But here in John chapter 13, it starts a new section for which Christ transitions from His public ministry to the private ministry. And He is about to pour all that He has left into those disciples who follow Him. And He is going to prepare to complete the task 
for which He came, and that is to suffer, and that is to die, that you might live. So if you will this morning, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. And let us read the text. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would be departing from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During the supper, the devil, having already put into his heart uh, Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, and to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured out the water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Peter and said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered him and said, What I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise, he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. Then he had washed their feet, taken his garments and reclined at the table again. And he said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And I gave you an example so that you would also do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one whom whom sent him. If you knew these things, you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know the one, the ones whom I've chosen, but this is happening so that, that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his hill against me. From now on, I tell you again before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe that I'm he truly, truly, I say to you. The one who receives me receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. There are three things that I want you to take out of here today with you that I believe that will help us in understanding our call to servant leadership, servant humility. First, I want you to notice we see the humility of Christ. Secondly, the holiness of Christ. And thirdly, the heart. Shall we first consider the humility? The passage starts by clarifying that a point of time in which we find ourselves in the context. He says, now it was before the feast of the Passover. Passover is just in reach. Really, this means Jesus' time here on earth in chapter 13 is, is really coming to a close. And so here we find the farewell discourse. His public ministry has ended 
Jesus gathers His cherished disciples around Him and He begins to instruct them some for the last time concerning His person and work and their shared identity as His disciples. Jesus in this time addresses their question and fears, but He also exhorts them to, to stay the course, which involves remaining in Him by Spirit. Jesus and His ministry turns, turns towards the cross, His resurrection, His ascension, and Jesus uses the farewell discourse to explain what is to come and ultimately why He must go. And so John gives a little insight to this truth in verse 1. He says, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart from this world, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. He loved them as His own. John 6.39 reminds us of that beauty. He loved them from the beginning and would love them to the end, all the way to the cross, and beyond. He would ascend up to the right hand of the Father where He still is today, where He intercedes on our behalf when we know not what to pray. Listen, that's love. I can tell you I love you, but here Jesus shows He loves them because He will love them to the end. He will die on the cross for them and for you and for me. Listen, humility is always marked by love. Christ loved those for whom the Father had given Him. He even loved those that didn't love Him. He came to His own and His own received them not. We learn in Acts 13, we, we see that, that Paul on his missionary journey and Barnabas, they go and they share the gospel with, with the Jewish people and they reject Him. He says, it's open now to the Gentiles. And they rejoiced. They crowded. He went as far to love those who acted like they didn't care for him. And in the end, he loved even the one who would betray him. You see, it's easy to love those who love you back. But what we see in this holy humility is, is, is that Christ loves even those who are willing to sell him out. Those who deceive Him, or try to at least, are those who are going to betray Him. Listen, you can't look past verse 2. It's stuck right there. You have these two phrases that He uses in verses 1 is Jesus knowing. Verse 3, Jesus knowing. And right in the middle, it says in verse 2, 3, during the supper, the devil, having already put into his heart into the heart, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. And in verse three says, Jesus knowing that the Father had handed him all things over to him, and he had come from, forth from God and was going back to God. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. The Father had already put it all in his control, and he he knew where he come from, and he knew where he was going. Jesus is absolutely aware that Judas Iscariot is about to betray him. Yet, the text says, he loved them to the end. Grant Osborne and his commentary suggest here that the Greek says Satan entered his heart. 
Now we may find some confusion as we look in later in the chapter, as it seems that Satan actually enters him later, but I think what that is doing is looking back on this event. This is the foreknowledge of Christ. He sees and knows exactly what's happening. Judas did it for what he could gain, but really Satan had planned this perfectly. And he was behind Judas Iscariot's desires. Now think about that for a moment. You have the one whom is all-knowing. He, he, he knows the Father has handed him all things. He has given him all power, all authority. Listen, you know how easy it would have been for Jesus just to take Judas out? To shut the devil down? To make him quiet? To put him out of the picture? What else I thought was, you know how easy it would be to have that kind of power and that kind of authority and misuse it. Christ didn't misuse His power. We live in a day when people misuse their powers. Christ was a humble servant. Man, if we could get some leaders who were humble servants. He knew where He had come from. He knew where He was going. And yet, we find that He walked in humility. I mean, John 3.16 expresses the very nature of God, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. I mean, here Jesus is the very proof of God in flesh. We know that He's been in the beginning with God. John 1.1 1, 1 reminds us of that when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us just a few verses later. Here you have the One who obtains all power, all authority, and He is standing before this man possessed by the devil. Let that settle in for a moment. You, you, you were talking about a holy humility. The text says he got up from supper and he laid out his outer garments aside and he took the towel and tied it around himself and he poured water into the basin. I mean, at this point, the men are shocked. Just in a matter of seconds, he has reversed the social order. What was appropriate for only a servant now became the very responsibility of our Savior. And the text says He began washing their feet and wiping them with the towel which He had tied around Himself. He could have taken Judas out. But rather, we see God in flesh. Washing the disciples' feet, including the feet of the betrayer. Christ loved them to the cross. He loved them to the best of His ability, which was complete. He humbled Himself as a lowly servant, even in the face of His enemy. You see, this is impossible without Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ served you and me in our sin. 
when He took Himself upon the cross, yet while we were sinners, Romans 5.8 says, He died for us. I don't think for a second He doesn't expect for us to do the same. He shows that, that, that His love equals being a servant. Love is not just a mere word, it's an action in Christ. It shows us what it looks like. Listen, how are you serving one another this morning? How are you serving one another in the body of Christ? How are you using your gifts that God has blessed you with? Are you serving Christ in this church or in your church? You give an account. Regardless, you're called to humble yourself to serve as a lowly servant. When he began washing their feet, drying them with the towel that he put around himself, this one in the very nature God who deliberately took on the very nature of a servant says, in Luke 22, I am among you as one who serves. Christ is in absolute control, yet He serves. Listen, we must be willing to serve Christ. It's an act of love. Even to those who betray us, even those who hate us. Because in our serving them, we are serving Christ. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12. It says, if your enemy is hungry... Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. That takes humility. So we see the humility of Christ. And secondly, I want you to notice the holiness of Christ. John continues in the narrative and tells us what Jesus does next. He says here in verse 6, So he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, we are, you are washing my feet? Jesus answered him and said, What I am doing you do not realize, but soon you will understand. Peter's always the one, isn't he? Jesus wants him to understand that what he is doing, he does not understand right now, but soon he will. Later he will find out. I can't help but be reminded that sometimes in life, when God is doing something in our lives, we don't get it at the moment. We miss it. It's so hard sometimes to see what's happening. But listen, sooner or later you will find out what was God was doing in this moment in your life. We are so much like Peter. God doing things that we don't understand. And God wants us to know what I'm doing. Listen, you don't realize now, but you will later. My ways are higher than your ways, Peter. My, my ways are higher than your ways. Is what God is saying to you. He says, I know you don't get it right now. And why I'm down here serving in this capacity? He's at the feet of the disciples. This is God in flesh. It would be like the President of the United States to drop down on his knees and, and, and wash the feet of the most lowly person in America. Now I know we've made a laughing stock of our presidency. It used to be the highest position held of honor. So did pastors. 
So whatever illustration you need to put in there, the most influential person you've ever known in your entire life, that person getting down on his knees and washing the most humble servant that you could think of. That's what Jesus does. I mean, Peter knows who Jesus is. Remember, Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, who? What? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here in verse 8, Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Ain't happening, Jesus. No way. And Jesus says, listen, if I do not wash your feet, if I do not wash you, he says, you have no place with me. Don't miss that. That's union with Christ. You must be in Christ. You must be washed in the blood of Christ. John Murray wrote, union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. It isn't simply a phrase of the application of redemption. It underlies every aspect of redemption. We, we, we don't listen to become actual partakers of Christ until redemption is actively applied. You must be washed. You must be born again. You must be, you must be regenerated. God was at work prior to the foundations of this world. Every name is in the Lamb's book of life. God already knows who's going to be saved. He's already chosen the elect. Now, whether he does that based upon an unconditional election or conditional election, that's for you to argue. The reality is that he knows. He's an omniscient God. He knows all things. But we are not partakers of Christ until it's actively applied. And that's why, if you remember, Paul says, until you're washed, or you're without Christ. You're aliens. You're strangers. You have no hope. By nature, you're children of wrath. Listen, this morning, if you are not washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are a child of wrath. Either you're for Him or you're against Him. Either you're a believer or you're not a believer. You're, there is no in-between. Either you're for Him or you're against Him. And if you're for Him, then you must believe that He alone is your salvation. No works, no efforts, no abilities will ever get you into the kingdom of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Unless He come down from heaven and live that perfect life and die on your behalf that you might live, you will be hopeless and you will be strangers and you will be aliens and you will die in your sin because you have not believed on Him whom God has sent as your propitiation. It's a warning. You must be born again like He told Nicodemus. And when you've placed your faith in Christ alone into salvation, He says you're clean. Simon Peter said to Him, Lord, then not only my feet, but wash my hands and my Give me a bath. Dunk me. He had missed it. In verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed only needs to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean. He says, when you are saved, you're washed in Christ, you are completely clean. You're not partially clean. When he died, he said, to tell us that it is finished, it's paid in full. He 
You don't need to do anything to be saved. You just, you lack one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Are you clean today? The work's been done. Take the, the yoke of slavery off from around your neck and stop trying to be perfect. Rather, trust Christ and begin the process of being sanctified in Him through your salvation. When you've trusted in Christ, you're clean. So he tells Peter, you're clean. You don't need for your whole body, just your feet, Peter. Listen, union with Christ is vital to salvation. You must be in Christ, in His death, in His burial, and in His resurrection. But when you are in Christ, your life will change. You will have growth. Because of progressive sanctification, it's equally crucial. Why? Because you've been indwelt with the Spirit of God at conversion. And when you're indwelt with the Spirit of God at conversion, it changes your life. Because it's no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. Jesus had given them a lesson on being holy here. The daily needing need to repent and to turn to God. It was a message, listen, yes, for the lost. Judas was there. But it was also a message for those who are already clean, saved, born again from above, trusted in the work, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. To the lost, you must be clean. And the only way you can be clean is through Jesus Christ. To the Savior, to walk in holiness, to live out that 1 John 1, 9 kind of light that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, that's to the believer. That's not to the unbeliever. That's not an evangelistic message. That's a daily repentant message. That's progressive sanctification kind of stuff. We, we don't need some radical new cleansing. But rather what we need as Christians is a daily cleansing from the contamination of, of, of our sinful world. Oh, we need to repent daily and turn to God. That's why it's so important to be reminded of His great faithfulness. We are called to put off the old self, repent daily and turn to God. What they can't see until now until Christ goes to the cross, is that God had graciously justified and imputed His righteousness unto them by His atoning death on the cross. We see it. We look back to it. He had forgiven when He died on that cross for your sins and my sins. Listen, He loved to the end. No, Peter, you are clean. You are clean, but he says in the end of verse 10, but not all of you. For he knew, it says, that the one who was betraying him, it was this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. It, it, there's, there's almost a plea, a warning to Judas. While you are clean, Peter, not all of you are clean. There is one among you who is not clean, and he will not be saved lest he repents. He says in John 6, 70, Did I not myself choose you? 
the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? Let the warning go forth today. But if you are not in Christ, and you are not clean, and you are not clean, you're not saved, and you're not saved, you'll go to hell. But Christ has given you every opportunity. He's given you breath. He's given you this video to watch today. In my words, I hope are a warning to you who are watching. God wants you to be saved, to put your faith in Christ, to be cleansed, to be washed, to be redeemed, to be saved, to be justified, to be declared right before a holy and righteous God. You've offended God. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And you need to be placed back into that right relationship with the Lord. The repentance of your sins. For those that have been cleaned, called to walk holy and to repent daily, let Him wash your feet clean every day. When you wake up in the morning and ask, Lord God, forgive me of everything I did. It was a sinful act. When you go to bed, oh Lord Jesus, forgive me for every sinful act I've done. In the middle of the day at lunch, before you eat, God, forgive me for every sinful act that I've done. And name them out. We see the humility of Christ. We see the holiness for which Christ calls us to. But lastly, we see the heart. The text continues in verse 12. When they had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are correct. You ought to call me that. For if I, the Lord, the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Now, a few different interpretive methods here. I don't think it's dealing with some sacramental uh, interpretive idea. Um, it, it may have to deal with some Christological method, exemplary uh, interpretive method. Um, I think what Christ is laying out here is a desire for them to walk and live in humility as He has. Jesus reminds them of who He is, he says He is the teacher and He is indeed Lord. And, and, and the idea of the word there used for Lord is reference to God. Indeed, I am God. This way, Jesus establishes the foundation for His argument. And if I am the great I am, who is superior to you, if I take the form of a servant, and I have washed the feet of you, shouldn't you have that attitude as well? is connected what He has done with what He expects His disciples to do. He expects you who are superior to serve those who are inferior. He expects you who are loftier, educationally wise, maybe financially, and to serve those who are under you. Because in the eye of God, there is no, neither slave nor free, nor man nor woman, no male nor female, no, no, no Jew or no Gentile, because in Christ we are all one. We are the same body, individually members of one another. Doesn't mean there's not men and women. Don't listen to those crazy people. Doesn't mean there's not slaves and there's not free people. Doesn't mean there's, there's not Jew and Gentile. What it means is in Christ He sees you the same. 
He expects us to be servants. He who wants to come first must come last. And listen, he who wants to live must die. He flipped it up on his head. He, what he was talking about is illogical to these people. To be a servant? Listen, these, these guys wanted to sit on the right and on the left when, when, when Christ went to heaven. Jesus, the superior, served the inferior. He's calling them to do the same. To have servant leadership. I love the passage that reminds of this truth in Philippians 2, 5, and 7. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, as He already existed in the form of God, did not see, consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of a man. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You talk about a picture of humility, an example to follow, Christ is our guy. Truly, truly, I say to you, he says in verse 16, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, he says, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus wants these men to know, have this attitude which was in him. But knowing and not doing is not good enough. He says, no, you are blessed if you do them. That, that my friends, calls us to action. And that action brings blessing. Now, listen, knowledge is great and all. But blessed is the one if you do them, he says. I mean, that'd be like getting married. And then... Saying, yeah, we got married, that's great, and then we don't even live together. We don't see each other, we don't talk together, we don't pray together, we don't, you know. It, it makes no sense, it's illogical. No, it, you're blessed if you do them. What you do reveals your heart. And what Christ did revealed His heart. Christ continues. And here again, He's revealing the darkness among them. In verse 18, He says, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know one whom, uh, the, the ones whom I've chosen. Jesus has repeatedly warned about the treachery of someone within the own ranks of the twelve. Someone within the inner circle. Judas was one. Was Judas not chosen? I mean, He says here, I know the ones whom I've chosen. Was Judas not chosen? I mean, he's already said in John 6, 70, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? The reality is, is that not all of his choosing is choosing unto salvation. The text itself tells why. The reason Jesus chose one who would betray him was to fulfill the Scriptures. John 13, 18 says, But this is happening so that the Scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. This was 
from the Old Testament. This was a, an ideal of, of, of personal relationship. Listen, it was important to come to the table. And if you came to the table, you broke bread together, it was assumed there was this high level of loyalty. And here Jesus is at the table dining. And He's eating bread with the devil through Judas. This is a personal betrayal. But what he done was not done in the darkness. He reveals the truth before it happens to seal up his argument. From now on, he says in verse 19, I'm telling you before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. Listen, Judas can only serve the mission of God. I mean, God is still sovereign even though Judas is foolish. The redemptive purposes of Christ were set in stone before the foundations of the world. Christ was sent on a mission by God. And the Lord knows the terrible events that lie ahead. And so He warns. And when they happen, guys, you will know that I am He. He wraps it up in verse 20. With this verily, verily, or truly, truly statement, I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send, receives me. The one who receives me, receives him who sent me. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are so connected that they work in unity together. And they fulfill the very purposes that they planned before the foundations of the world. Have you received Christ today? Listen, that's priority. You can't live this call out on your life unless you are found in Christ. You can't serve Christ. You can't serve others with the same self-sacrificial servant heart of Christ if you are not in union with Christ, if you are not in Christ, if you are not born again, if you are not Holy Spirit and dwelt. And I'm not talking about the perverted Holy Spirit and dwelt that we see in this modern day culture of strange fire. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit you're dwelt with at conversion. You must put your faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Not in your works. For Galatians 2.20 says, if you could be saved by keeping the law, listen, Christ died needlessly. If that's what you believe, you're not clean. You're stained with sin and separation. You are odds with God. And you need the saving work of Christ. His blood, His cross, His cleansing is what you need. And today you can leave here washed in the blood of Christ. You will trust in Him. Some of you need your entire bodies washed. But for you who are in Christ, you need to just be washed daily. Asking for forgiveness. Daily repenting. So that you can represent Christ in a like-like manner. Don't, don't fail to come clean today. Whether in complete cleanness or just growing in your sanctification. The Lord Jesus Christ desires you to move and to respond in faith today.
God bless you. Let's pray. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.